0: Christmas elves, welcome to Chance by Chance, a podcast for young artists, entrepreneurs, and creators of all types. My name is Chance Gilliam, and I've made it my job to aid your navigation of the professional field and life as we know it. This doesn't all come from me. In fact, it's mostly about looking to those before us for instruction, tools, and resources to succeed. I interview artists, scientists, innovators, educators, you name it, all contributing toward the shared vision of a more peaceful and productive earth by opening the door to honest discussion. And man, oh man, we have one heck of an episode today. Carl Atiyah Swanson is a creator, performer, writer, and artist. He's the director of movement building at Springboard for the Arts in St. Paul, Minnesota, an economic and community development organization by and for artists. There, he also leads the Creative Exchange Program. He serves on the board of Dissonance, an advocacy organization for mental and physical wellness and creativity. He collaborates with Savage Umbrella, hosts a concert series called Cake Shop, has been on the board of directors for the Young Nonprofit Professionals Network in the Twin Cities, and this only begins to scratch the surface of a truly inspiring and excellent man. We discussed being a guest in other countries as well as our own country. We talk about vetting opportunities, parenthood, what he values about the Twin Cities' civic infrastructure. Of course, we touch on mental health and wellness, Kurt Vonnegut, shelter and support, and much, much more. You can find references in this episode in the show notes. For now, please enjoy my conversation with Carl Atia Swanson. Well, hey, Carl. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Chance. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you're a you're a big fan of soccer, huh? <laughs> International <laughs> that soccer. Is,
1: that is a good way to start off this conversation. Yeah, um, uh, I am a I'm a huge soccer fan. I I lived in Italy when I was a kid. I was there for the 1990 World Cup. Yeah, I mean that, that kicked that off uh, literally and figuratively. So, <laughs> and figuratively. yeah. Do you remember the last game you were at? The last game I was actually physically at uh, would have been a Minnesota United game mm-hmm. this summer. But uh, try and watch games. Uh, I'm a Tottenham Hotspur fan from the English Premier League, and so uh, Spurs fans are at the Nomad to so try and get to the Nomad as often as possible. But sometimes I just watching from my house, so you know whatever works. Whatever works, yeah. As in as many ways as possible, yeah. And you ended up in Italy through your parents, right? You're a missionary kid, as you put it on I your am. website. Yeah, both my parents are Lutheran pastors. Okay. And my dad is an academic, and his study uh, area of study is the early church in the Middle East. Hmm. And so, uh, I spent all of my childhood up until I was 14 overseas. I lived for 11 years in Cairo, uh, Egypt, where my dad was teaching. My mom was a pastor of a church that worked with refugees there. Uh, and then we were in Rome for three years where my dad did his PhD because the Vatican Library has, you know, uh, scrolls and codices <laughs> and 9th century manuscripts from the, you know, Gnostic fathers in the desert that my dad was using oh. for his research. So, yeah, that's how we wound up that's how I wound up there.
0: It sounds like an, an intelligent guy. I mean, your mom, too. Yeah,
1: they're, they're, both, they're both super smart and uh, all over the place. What do you think you—I
0: know this is a loaded question— but what do you think you took away from your time abroad as a kid, especially? Mm-hmm. A lot of people travel throughout life, but not a whole lot of people get that so early on. Can you just speak on that?
1: Yeah, and it's actually something that I think about or have thought about quite a bit. So I grew up overseas. I grew up an American in a country where, especially Egypt, sort of dealing with this post-colonial legacy of mm-hmm. being a, a British colony and, you know, having its own you know struggles for independence, its own defining government structures, and I grew up in an as a privileged outsider in that country, so there's still a, a level of deference to the u s when I was there because of the amount of foreign aid that that, have, that America gives, but definitely still an outsider and you know b- being a Christian white kid in a country uh, that's predominantly Muslim and sort of outsiderness in that way and being an observer. I spend a lot of my time thinking about what it means to be welcome and what it means to be invited and as a guest versus a, a, an owner of something. And so that's the frame that I bring to living in America in that I don't feel like I particularly own any part of the country or anything uh, here, but I get to have the privilege of having inalienable rights in this country, and so how are we exercising those rights, how are we we making other people feel welcome and included that to me is sort of the the at the heart of what it means to be independent in this social contract that we have in this country where we have mutually dependent rights where no one person owns the idea of America but it is a spread and diffuse thing and i feel like these days that is a radical notion. When we just elected a president whose main thesis statement was uh, essentially white people own this country, so take it back for white people. And I couldn't disagree with that more. And I think that we need to be thinking about radical welcoming and inclusivity in every day of our every day of our lives and right now. And how are you staying busy with that these days? Well, I mean, right now. I'm mean, so I don't know when you're going to release this, but you know, we're a week out from the election. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now. So, this is what's happening right now, which is uh, figuring out what the organizing is and what the what the actions to take are. You know, giving money to organizations. Uh, using my artistic skills and talent, I've been trying to make something every single day, uh, whether it's like a, a drawing or a meme or some sort of text thing. I made a poster with the First Amendment on it and the White House number and the U.S. Capitol switchboard, so that I could have that as a reference. So trying to stay aware and outraged and also channel that into creative means is the work now and I think will be the work to come. But then sort of in the bigger picture as well, I work at an arts organization that is, that's whose mission is to have uh, vibrant communities and to help people make a living and a life. So how are we working in our structures to make our organization as responsive and as open as possible? Mm. I work with theater companies and then with a uh, whose mission is around radical conversation and welcoming with Savage Umbrella. Uh, I work, uh, I'm on the board of an organization called Dissonance, which is a creative community at the intersection of destigmatization around mental illness and recovery and having creative, supportive conversations around that. So, Mm. you know, what radical welcoming and hospitality work are we doing in that way to have sort of honest conversations uh, that make people feel? safe and included and like they're part of something so i mean all these things they all may seem sort of disparate all over the place but i think they all add up to how are we seeing each other and how are we welcoming each other
0: that's what i noticed in reading over your bio preparing for today it seems like community is a central theme of everything that you do small groups individual and you seem to have this bottom up approach to social change that being said i'm wondering how you look at bringing out the best in other people. If you're approaching this as a guest and mm-hmm. you know treat, treating everyone as a guest in the in the same way in this country. Um Yeah, how do you bring out the best in people?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I don't know that bringing out the best in people is necessarily what I want to do. I think I want to try and be better than my previous self. So how am I being better at that? And I you know, my hope is that in trying to make myself as open and as available and as creative and to say yes to things and be easy to work with that that also helps other people take advantage of their own skills and their own their own desires yeah and so really the the question for me is you know am i am i being better today than i was yesterday and then am i being Transparent and open enough so that other people can also work with me and try and be better than they were previously.
0: Yeah, yeah. And is that all mental, or do you have a way of keeping track of that
1: progress? Um, a little bit of it is mental. I think most of it really is being aware of where you're at and moving forward. I'm trying to have a short memory in some instances. Short not, memory. Yeah, I mean, you want to have sort of the the long term view of the arc of things, but also having a short memory being able to not beat yourself up about something one of my favorite tv shows uh, ever is the the west wing and jed bartlett the president's you know catchphrase on that is what's next hmm. uh i use that in my daily life so okay so i did that thing that's that button it went really well great what's next uh it did not go so well what did i learn from it okay what's next hmm. so doing that yeah and, and part of it is there are people who have big plans in life and who have like the one big goal that they're gonna that they're gonna achieve, and those folks I think of as marathon runners. Like they can do a thing and just stick to it, and that's where they're at, and that's how they're progressing. I find myself in all sorts of different positions. So to carry on that sort of uh, running analogy, I think of myself a lot more as like a soccer midfielder where I'm <laughs> running all over the pitch and uh, having all sorts of different interactions and have to make different decisions based on the situation. But it's all within this framework of, uh, of let's play together and let's, let's make things happen together.
0: Okay. Two-part question. <laughs> First, when someone comes to you with a request or you are looking at maybe starting or joining onto a new project, how mm-hmm. do you filter that for yourself? Deciding whether or not you should or should not do it.
1: Yeah. So the the first question that I ask myself is, uh, can I do this well with the time capacity that I have and with the other things that I have going on? I have two small children now. I have a soon to be three year old and nine month old. So that tends to be sort of the first filter. Can I do this and be a good dad to these kids at the same time? And if the answer is no, then I say no to that. But I try never to make things a hard no, unless it's something that I you know disagree with. Yeah. Uh, but, I, but the thing is that there's so many great things that are out there. And that I think there's so many different ways to be involved in things that there are a lot of ways to be useful to people. Sometimes when someone's asking me for something, uh, I cannot do the thing specifically that they're asking me to do. I don't have the I don't have the time, I don't have the money, I don't have the, the capacity to make that happen. But if I look at what I do have, I might know somebody who can do that for them, or I might know a group that they can partner with to make their life easier. Hmm. And I, I do try and know, at least tangentially, as many people as possible. Like Sometimes people ask me, like, oh, Doe, do you know everybody? And I'm like, yes, I'm trying. <laughs> I am trying to know everybody. I'm never going to succeed at that, but... I. Uh, if I can be able to map out a degree or two degrees of separation uh, and help bring people together in a way, that is a way that I can be useful, even when I am having you know the self-preservation knows that I can't do all the things you're asking me to do.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then, as you are in each of these different directions, giving radically like you are, how do you take care of yourself? Not spreading yourself too thin. <laughs> What's the balance there?
1: Uh, I'm bad at that. The blunt answer, and my wife will tell you that as well. thing is that she's bad at it as well. So <laughs> the two of us together, we're really bad at it together. Uh, it's why we work well together. Yeah, I, it, really, it really is a practice of saying no to things, saying no gently, and also uh, knowing when you have to shut down or when you have to stop doing stuff. I have a thing that I use. Uh, it's an acronym HALT. Which is hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, and if I am feeling any one of those things, sort of acutely or in combination, stop and check in with yourself. And it's like it's a good, it's a good sort of day to day, minute to minute practice. Yeah. Am I touchier? Am I angrier than I should be at this like email thread? Maybe I should take a break and have a little walk. Maybe I need to can get a snack. It's also good, sort of in the bigger picture of things. Am I overall? Too tired? Do I need to take a bigger break? Am I angry in a not productive way at a number of you know whether it's the political situation or a work situation or something like that? Do I need to find some space to gain a different perspective? Do I need to talk to somebody else to get a different perspective? That's often a a a response to that. So,
0: do you meditate or have any sort of meditative practice, even if that's just walking mindfully?
1: Yeah, I really love being able to take walks. I take public transportation whenever I can. Mm-hmm. Having somebody else drive and just being able to sit uh, in a city bus uh, or on a train that sort of serves a dual purpose for me. One, just being able to sit and be around people, I think, is an important thing without having the pressures of being responsible for a you know explosive two-ton piece of steel. Um, and then also, I mean, I believe I believe in cities and public infrastructure, and that cities thrive when. Strangers are comfortable with each other, so being on the bus, being on a train, is a is a affirmative practice of that.
0: Yeah, are you a, a big fan of winter? <laughs>
1: um I didn't grow up in wintry climates. Not like we have in Minnesota, but I've been now in Minnesota for thirteen winters, so I feel like I've earned the right to complain about them. Okay. um Yeah. definitely. Yeah. Definitely. yeah. <laughs> so I think that's where that's at. I will say too that. Now that I have kids uh who go crazy if they're cooped up inside a house for too long, mm. my relationship to winter has changed and will be changing as we throw on snowsuits and go outside and do stuff mm-hmm. because there's no way that we can be indoors for six months out of the year without, right. you know, all of us going a little a little Jack Nicholson.
0: So why brace the cold? And I'm kind of approaching this metaphorically asking why st paul and minneapolis like what what has mm-hmm. kept you around here i know you went to school in california yep and they i mean they've got a a bustling community out there yeah what what has
1: kept you here there are yeah there's a couple things i mean some of it is just happenstance i went to los angeles to go to undergrad i went to a art school and theater school in la and realized pretty quickly that la is not was not my ideal kind of city uh, in that it is doesn't have a lot of density. It's a lot, it's, you know, super spread out. So did not that wasn't what I was craving out of a city. Hmm. And then after graduation, sort of bummed around California for a while. I, was, I had been doing some political canvassing, some you know campaigns for door knocking and street fundraising things like that. But then didn't have health insurance. I mean, this is the really blunt answer. Is like I, I didn't have health insurance, and this is pre ACA. And I needed to have surgery and my aunt is a nurse in Minnesota and she said, get your butt on a plane and Minnesota has decent care for people who are young and low income like you were, like I was then. And so got me on a plane and got me in surgery in Minnesota and that was 10 years ago now. That's awesome. I mean, that's the thing is that Minnesota's essentially minuscule investment in me having surgery here a fairly minor surgery but definitely necessary yeah uh has paid off in you know i have been married here and paid taxes in the state and bought into the whole civic infrastructure here so that's kept me around and the fact that it is a large enough community where you can do a lot of different things if you want to but it doesn't feel as aggressively cutthroat as other cities mm. plus there is an enormous there is an enormous civic infrastructure here both in terms of nonprofits and foundations and then the passage of the legacy amendment in 2008 means that there is a lot of financial support for arts and creative projects and creative partnerships so those are all reasons that I've stuck around. None of those things are perfect, and there is work to be done around equitable distribution of resources and who's getting funding, and especially it's come to light recently with a lot of different studies, the the lack of racial equity in the Twin Cities and the disparate achievement rates you know, with the wealth gap here. So there's work to be done. But none of those things feel insurmountable, and I would rather stick around and be a part of some solutions than just go someplace else and forget about it
0: I like it. I yeah. like it. Yeah. Yeah, the, I mean it keeps life exciting if if there's work to do hmm I mean as unfortunate as it can be oftentimes it's really awesome to see you making the most of your Position and staying where the work needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah When did you first start working at Springboard for the Arts?
1: So I started at Springboard in April of 2012 and I came in after working at the Minneapolis Institute of Arts for a couple years in their membership department and being a theater maker and freelance writer and occasional PR person for local bands and really just sort of <laughs> being as useful as I possibly could in the art scene. Again, in that, you know, uh, I want to know everybody, I want to do cool things, I want to make cool things happen. So, what are all the different ways that I can make that work for me? And. Came in at Springboard to essentially be an office manager and support Laura Zabel, our executive director. So my job was to help everybody else do their jobs. That lasted for about a year. And I'd been working on not just sort of internal things but also on our Give to the Max Day campaigns and fundraising and doing that kind of work as well. And then we it was at a point where Springboard was had been growing a lot we'd had a lot of have a lot of different exciting programs that were happening we we're figuring out how do we share our work on a national scale and how do we take what we know and what we've done and offer it to other organizations we've been doing a lot of traveling to conferences and people would say you know oh that's a really cool thing we were doing at that point uh, along the green line construction between st paul and minneapolis a project called Irrigate which trained artists who lived and worked or had a significant connection to the neighborhoods around the Green Line in essentially community organizing and partnerships Hmm. for creative placemaking work. Hmm. So how do you build teams? How do you have effective partnerships? And then we were funding them to do small creative projects, $1,000 to $3,000 projects, uh, with local businesses or organizations. And we trained over 600 artists over the course of three years wow. and seeded about 250 different projects. So that was a really exciting thing to have happen. And the way that we really were measuring success around that is that before this project started, all the column inches about what was happening on the green lines, all the stories in the media, all the newspaper, radio, TV stories were all about this massive disruption and how... It's going to kill local businesses, and this is a terrible thing for everybody. But as soon as we started funding uh, all these cool pop-up plays and new murals and new jazz nights and things like that, uh, it gave people a different story to write about the community. Hmm. And because we were working specifically with artists who lived or worked in those neighborhoods, it gave those artists a chance to tell their own story about what their neighborhoods were like and Hmm. what they were doing in those neighborhoods. And we commissioned local market research firms to do essentially listening surveys. So what what was the tone of the media? The midpoint at the end point of the project. And found that over the the life of Irrigate, we generated 50 million positive impressions of stories about the light rail area and the neighborhoods there. Wow. Uh, Yeah, and these column inches were almost uniformly positive. So these were all good stories that other people were writing about the neighborhoods that were being affected by the light rail construction. I mean, and you compare that to the amount of money that businesses and cities spend on advertising campaigns, we got a really great ROI for the foundation investment in well, that project. What is ROI? Return on investment. Return on yeah. investment. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you think about all the money people spend buying billboards and putting uh, ads on the sides of buses when you could be taking that same pool of money and paying local artists to do cool things in their neighborhood and then letting that story tell itself and letting inviting the media into that narrative think about that as a way of community building as opposed to simply you know this is a thing that's happening mm-hmm. uh reinvesting that money into the local neighborhoods and you have recently
0: or for a couple of years now i think been uh working on the creative exchange program mm-hmm. was irrigation sort of a earlier version of that because I I'm sensing some similarities there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Creative Exchange really came out of this conversation about how do we share what we do and mm-hmm. how do we let people other people take it and model it and do it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so Creative Exchange is a online platform. You can find it at springboardexchange.org where we're sharing Stories about artists who are making an impact in their community, and then pairing that with toolkits for creative artist-led program programs and projects, which so, are
0: super cool. I've checked out quite a few. Yeah, already.
1: <laughs> awesome. So we wrote a toolkit for irrigates. You know, how do you do these community organizing workshops? Uh, how do you set up these partnerships? How do you empower artists to do this work? And so that toolkit is for available for free on Creative Exchange,
0: and that's on a national stage now, right? Mm-hmm. How yeah. how did you begin that expansion process?
1: Yeah, so I mean I have to give thanks to the the Knight Foundation. They just over three and a half years ago now made some significant investments in a number of different organizations around the Twin Cities, mm-hmm. including Springboard for the Arts, to allow us to build out this platform. Mm-hmm. We built the platform, and then had a partnership with a local media company that runs essentially online magazines across the country. What was that company? Uh, it's called Issue Media Group, and they're based out of Detroit. They run uh, the line here in the Twin Cities. So we had the expertise in how do we want to share these toolkits? How do we want to create these these resource programs? We had the networks of artists we wanted to cover, and you know people who we wanted to share exciting stories about how artists can make an impact. Hmm. What we didn't have necessarily was a media platform experience or journalist experience. So uh, we brought in IMG as a partner on that and partnered for two years together. Before this summer, we took it all in-house. And now I run uh, our freelancers and do I'm essentially editor-in-chief as well as running the other strategic aspects of Creative Exchange. But yeah, this really came out of... uh, we decided we wanted to be an organization that shared and that helped other individual artists arts organizations city governments build their own capacity around their own resources instead of being an organization that franchised itself or that you know showed up in a community and said hi we're springboard for the arts we do these various programs and we're going to set up an office here uh, that's not how we wanted to work as we talked about national scale and mm-hmm. sharing so mm-hmm. we instead we've pretty wholeheartedly embraced this Free, open, radical. Here are the toolkits. Here are the resources. Uh, here are the stories that are the proof points of this. Let's carry the conversation on from there. Open source together. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yep. That's cool. Yeah.
0: What did the initial conversations look like? I came here to Springboard the other day, and I was talking to Zarawar Mystery mm-hmm. about expanding my own project, and he was giving me some pointers on. Preparing something to show people mm-hmm. so it's not just talking about an idea. It's showing what you already have and where it could go When you approached this foundation this company mm-hmm. these different organizations at the onset of yeah. creative exchange what,
1: what did you bring them? Yeah, so the? You know initial grant proposal Was basically pulling together the things that we had done uh, and the vision we had for where it would go so when we initially proposed it, we knew that we had you know, these program experiences around not just irrigate, but also uh, we run a community supported art program and the Knight Foundation in 2010 and 2011 had helped create a toolkit for that. So we already had this experience under our belts where we'd created a toolkit and then shared it freely. And we'd seen about 30 replications of the CSA model, which is like community-supported agriculture. We commissioned nine artists to make an addition of 50 pieces of work. We sell 50 shares to the public. public comes and picks up their boxes that instead of having kale or eggs or whatever, uh, they have a, a photograph and a little painting and a small ceramic mug. Huh. Uh, so you get a surprise box of art instead of a surprise <laughs> box of veggies. So we had that experience that we could bring Uh, We had, you know, a growing network of artists and arts organizations nationally that we knew were doing really interesting work that we could pull from and partner with and share those stories. And in pulling those pieces together, we were able to say, look, this is a really exciting resource. This is a really interesting time for this field of where artists are and the ways that artists are being engaged in their communities and we think that we have a, a unique position as practitioners and as people in connection and conversation with what's happening nationally that we can really pull something together hmm. and make, make a go of, 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 a, of a thing that helps people see where they could go and gives them the capacity to do things on their own.
0: And what's, yeah. the, what's the next step out today for creative exchange?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, and it's something that I'm always thinking about what we're doing, what we can do together. We've had a chance to do a couple different in-person convenings around creative partnerships and how to create new relationships. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be doing another one of those uh, in Denver, actually, in March of 2017. Cool. Yeah, and I would love to be able to do a couple more of those in 2017 and really build out that kind of creative work. One of the things, too, that has really become clear in this process is that there are some people in some organizations who can take on a toolkit and just run with it and do the thing.
0: Hmm.
1: More often than not, you'll need to give other support and push people in new ways to make things happen. What do you mean by that last part? So if you get a toolkit for the Irrigate program, It's a fairly large-scale program. It involves a bunch of different, you know, you need organizational partners, you need to have business partners. Someone probably individually can't take it and just make the thing happen in their own community. But we've seen successful replications of irrigate uh, and adaptations of it in Cleveland and in Mesa and in Nashville. So, you know, people have taken the model and who have made something happen through their own arts organizations or their own arts councils. And those happen because there was sort of a deeper level of consultation and involvement in the process and how that goes so what i think that we're doing really well right now is getting a lot of resources out to people and making and starting you know to build the networks of people having these resources we're seeing certain certain toolkits certain high capacity individuals and organizations taking on that work and making it happen in their own communities Mm -hmm. there's a space in between there around what further supports consultation what other levers there are there? Do we, need to help find out people? do we need to help people find extra money? Do we need to help people do more partnership building? Those are the things that I see as needs that we're still working on. And so my questions are always around how am I moving that forward and how am I helping people fill those gaps in an effective way? Switching gears
0: just slightly, I want to talk a little bit about dissonance. Maybe just starting with how you got involved
1: over there. Yeah, so Dissonance is a relatively new nonprofit. We just got a five hundred one c three status this year, but it had been a project of some friends of mine when they were at McNally Smith, the College of Music in St. Paul. They were both counselors, right? Or yeah, one of them? Yep. Uh, Sarah Souter Johnson was a, uh, is a therapist. And there's a counselor. Um, David Lewis worked uh, in sort of the student life department there, and uh, this was they created essentially a series of conversations around mental health and wellness seeing a need for that conversation in the students there hmm. and one of the things that i think is true still and really pervasive amongst creative people and especially amongst younger people who want to be creative is this notion that you have to be tortured or suffering or somehow uh, in pain and destructive in order to be a creative and productive person i personally uh, was wholly bought into that myth for a good number of years I also am now uh, sober, and have been sober for eight and a half years. Congrats, man. Thank you. <laughs> That's a streak. It is a streak. Uh, and it's the only way that I get things done these days. Hmm. Um, it's the only way that I'm able to be focused, the only way that I'm able to be productive. It's the only way that I'm able to be open and transparent and honest with people about hmm. where I'm at. Because when I wasn't sober, I'd spend a lot of time, you know, thinking that I was doing really great things, but in fact harming my own body and harming my own relationships and not being great at being accountable or showing up for people or showing up for the ideas that I wanted to, to have in the world. So Sarah and David saw this you know, this pervasive mythology amongst the students of McNally and essentially organized a conversation amongst working musicians and people who are industry professionals around their own either sobriety or mental health issues and their own wellness practices and balance. Uh, and my wife used to work at McNally, so I got the chance to go and interact with the conversations there. They partnered with Minnesota Public Radio a couple years back, and they're part of that conversation as well. And then once they both left McNally, they took the idea with them thinking that it was still a good thing to be doing and a necessary conversation, and I wholeheartedly agree with them. And so at the end of last year, they were looking to sort of do it more fully and have some more structure around it, And ask myself and a number of people who I know or have a connection to to help be a part of, you know, the driving force, the board behind that. Yeah. Yeah. So I joined on uh, for that. And we've had a really good year in this year. In 2016, we've established ourselves as a 501c3 nonprofit, created a brand new website where we're sharing people's stories about their own wellness practices, their recovery, how they're coping with things, coping mechanisms. We have a really vibrant Facebook public group where people are sharing their own stories and offering mutual support for people. Hmm. And I think one of the, you know, I've had more direct conversations with people who have just sort of come out of the woodwork and said, can I talk to you about this thing? Uh, Which is something that I'm always willing to do. And the Facebook both public group and sort of public visibility of the organization, I think have helped pull people out and make people feel more welcome into that conversation and we're about to host an event uh, on the 15th of December with Nora McInerney, who uh, lost her husband to cancer, founded the Still Kicking movement, you know, dealing with grief and that, uh, having those conversations. Uh, Davina Sowers, who's Davina the Vagabonds, sober musician. Katie Vernon, who's a solo musician, does a lot of different projects dealing with her own fairly recent deal dealing with recovery mental and mental health so uh we're going to have a conversation with them on the 15th of december cool yeah and they're always really great because you get to have people who talk you know talk honestly and earnestly about the their their lives and their experiences but then also we make sure that people are sharing from their own creative output so there'll be music we'll have readings from from books and things like that so yeah. Speaking
0: from your own experience, and myself asking as someone who has definitely been bogged down from time to time in the the grime that often accompanies uh, an artistic life. Yeah. What advice can you give to people feeling driven to pursue a career in you know music or theater or whatever it is, but still being surrounded to whatever extent by the, the
1: challenges that you're yeah. trying to deal with yeah i mean make no bones about it uh living a creative life especially if you were wanting to make a financial living out it is is a very difficult thing to do mm-hmm. uh it is it is hard and knowing that it is hard it helps you deal with the fact that it is hard <laughs> um by the same measure it's super rewarding it's amazingly rewarding to be involved not only with your own projects but with other people's projects and helping new things come to fruition and having new moments of creativity and points of connection in the world so the the thing that i sort of tell myself so i have like three little mantra that i say to myself and i especially i'm thinking of these things now as i am becoming a dad and i'm gonna have to tell my kids how to do something and hopefully be a good influence for them but be brave, be useful, and be kind. Hmm. So, you know, you you have to go out and you have to do things, and it's going to be scary and it's going to be terrifying. Be brave. You can do these things. Uh, people have done it for generations before us, but not like you. And you have a new voice and new perspective to add into that. So be brave uh, and embrace that voice. Uh, be useful because not everything is going to go your way all the time. You're not always going to have the the resources you need at hand but if you are useful and you can plug into other people's projects uh, and help other people make things happen people will help you make things happen Mm. and then be kind not just to other people to keep those relationships open so that you can have mutually supportive relationships but also to yourself Uh, the whole thing about being an artist is that it is always a practice of becoming and it is never a finished thing so you are always in rehearsal you are always you know sketching something new be kind to yourself while you're doing these things so that you can give yourself the space to see where you're growing and see how you're changing something Hmm. uh, and then challenge yourself to do new things where does that philosophy come from for you Kurt Vonnegut mostly really yeah (laughs) yeah Uh, seriously it's uh Go into the arts, kids. Uh, it's not a great living, but it's a great way to make a life. You know, welcome to Earth, babies. The one thing I know is that you've got to be kind. <laughs> that is, yeah, and it comes from it comes from having it comes from having hurt people in the past, and it comes from knowing that it's not that's not the way that I particularly want to live, and I don't want other people to live that way around me. So hmm. yeah,
0: Hmm. Oh, man.
1: And. Uh, Let's jump over to to
0: Savage Umbrella, yeah. If we could, yeah, totally. We, we were talking a little bit before we started recording. You just opened a space called Space, yeah, in all capital letters. What's the uh, importance of that? There's there's also a a term you use on the website mm-hmm.
1: uh, Theater as Shelter. Yeah, yeah. So I joined Savage Umbrella in 2010, mm-hmm. and I have to say that I have I'm now uh, on the artistic advisory board since. Becoming associate director here at Springboard, again, sort of that's one of those capacity things is that I knew that I wasn't going to be able to be in a rehearsal room between having kids and doing my work here. uh, And I didn't want to lie to my friends and say Hmm. that I was going to do something and then not do it. Hmm. So uh, I've stepped back uh, a bit in the work that I've been able to do with Savage Umbrella. But I can totally speak to those kinds of things that happened while I was there. The, yeah, theater is shelter. We, Savage and process is really driven by the people in the room and by conversations that we're having. Everything is essentially developed by people working together. So a company of actors and designers and writers. It's really fluid and the process as it's developed has been very open to input from all sides. So there'll be a project leader who have an idea or a pair of project leaders who want to co-shape something. And then people come together and work together. And then the best ways that we've generated our shows is by giving them that time to make make the show and then having public workshops or public input points so that people can come together and give feedback and build something together. And when we say that theater is shelter, we mean that we want to be creating a space where people can have uncomfortable conversations, can reveal parts of themselves that maybe they can't do, Otherwise, in the in the broad in the broader world, and that we're committed to that kind of openness and support of each other, hmm. uh, so that it's not shelter in that we are hiding from something, but it is shelter in that we are creating space for people to be together and have a little bit of breathing room to process things and to talk about new things.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you you touched on this in the. Uh, communal aspect of the company, mm-hmm. but well, uh, one thing that really caught my attention is that you
1: work together not only in art but administration. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it takes it takes a lot of things to make a theater company run, including you know scheduling rehearsals and scheduling fundraisers and stuff like that. And so the idea behind Savage Umbrella, and it's taken a sort of a, a couple of different iterations, uh, is not that just someone is an actor and that is their only role within the company or someone is a director and that is their only role in the company. But we are a collaborative organization. And so we're all taking different aspects of the creative work, but then also the administration work and trying to let those things influence each other. How do you approach disagreement within that? It's like I said, there's been a variety of different iterations of the company and it's celebrating 10 years now. So that's an awesome. Milestone as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, It's taken a couple different iterations. It used to just be four people and has grown in different sizes and had different structures within there. Uh, One of the constants has always been Laura Leffler-McCabe as a creator, and uh, she's now the artistic director of the company. Uh, A couple years ago, sort of made official decisions around that. Hannah Holman is another really wonderful artist, managing director of the company, and so there is... There are those sort of points of people who you know the they are making either direct strategic decisions or tactical decisions on sort of a day to day basis, and the organization sort of networks around around that. Hmm. But it's super open, and you know the willingness to have those conversations is there. Yeah. yeah, space is really important because back to theater as shelter, having a dedicated physical area to work in is something that we didn't have until. We had the opportunity to open up this warehouse space and then as an organization that wants to support other organizations doing work, we're able to offer our space as a rehearsal and performance venue for other organizations. Mm. So being able to do, again, sort of uh, how many ways can we be useful to the community and the broader community as a whole. That's been a big driver behind that notion.
0: If anyone's interested in space, what does that a uh, rental process look like? Can yeah, you send them someplace?
1: Totally, yeah. It's SavageUmbrella.org is the okay. website and there's a whole structure. It's super artist friendly. We do a lot of fundraising to subsidize the costs of it because it is sort of a big part of that mission of what we want to do as as a critical shelter as a gathering spot as a place to have conversations all right yeah so there, there's yeah. that cake shop yeah you yeah. got a got a couple favorite performances off the top of your head um yeah johnny and molly from communist daughter playing really beautiful songs in our living room jerry messersmith played uh an evening of murder and death uh once which started as a joke And then we held him to it. He started joking about it and was like, yeah, you're going to do that. I saw the poster you made for that too. It's hilarious. (laughs) Because he had a terrific picture to work with from that. My wife took that picture uh, and then I photoshopped blood all over things. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's been a really wonderful way. That was a really wonderful way to help support artists getting paid. I mean, people paid rent, bought tour vans, paid for string arrangements off of records from those from those house concerts and being able to do that for other artists and have people who we liked whose music we wanted to to support uh, in our living room was really unique experience
0: cutting out the middleman pretty much yeah yeah i like it who else in the twin cities whoever comes at the top of your mind is doing good work today who do you like oh my god
1: that question is so broad there are there are a lot of people who are doing work in all ways and shapes and forms I mean, right now, I think that there's a really important movement for artists as activists. And it's thinking specifically of the work of, of uh, Ashley Fairbanks um, and Jeremiah Bay as artists who are organizers around issues uh, like Native American rights and like Black Lives Matter. Those are, those are artists who are doing really critical and important work. I mean, I think that my colleagues here at Springboard for the Arts... Uh, are doing really great stuff. Peter Hoken Thompson does this project here called Ready Go, which has these artist conversation tools that people can rent and organizations can rent, hmm. so that you can have different and better kinds of conversations. And that's a really exciting project to have going on there. There's lots of stuff. Uh, it's it's overwhelming. Totally. Yeah. That's yeah. a good
0: few right there. Though. Yeah. What advice would you give to your 20 year old self? I to like oh man, uh, put the bottle
1: down and get to work, kid. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> Plain and simple. Plain yeah. and simple.
0: If you could spend tomorrow anywhere in the world, cutting out the idea of travel time or money or anything, where would you spend tomorrow? Yeah,
1: There's so many places that I want to go visit that I've never been to before. Like, I've never been to Mexico, so I want to go to Mexico. I've never been to Cuba. I really want to go to Cuba. Actually, that's probably where. I would go to Cuba right now before it gets changed back into the pre-1959 mm-hmm. American play, like playground. <laughs> Yeah, that's where I would go. Cuba? Cuba. Cool. Yep. Most gifted books. And this is sort of a way of saying favorite books, Mm, but... Totally. Yeah. Stephen Johnson's Where Good Ideas Come From is a book that I go back and read every year or so, and I've given to other people and recommended. It really is a great read about how ideas generate and ways that you can put yourselves into a position to glean new ideas and insights, and uh, it's really great. Hmm. Yeah.
0: And you mentioned the West Wing earlier today, yeah. other other favorite shows.
1: Yeah, definitely the West Wing. If you haven't watched the West Wing, go go do that. It'll especially I think be uh a balm for you in the upcoming uh presidency. Um Early Mash, I mean it's so like dry and dark and humorous and also really human. I definitely definitely recommend that. Early Simpsons, same stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Cool. Uh-huh. And uh Man, you're you're a busy guy. We've we've touched on a lot today, but definitely not everything. If people want to follow up, learn some more about you, maybe connect with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're on social media. Where
1: I'm pretty findable wherever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah um, Twitter hashtag is uh, Katias C A T I Y A S. It's my uh, first initial, middle name, and last initial. Yeah, find me. Find me on Twitter, Carl at springboardforthearts.org. Find me right here. Yeah. Cool. Well Carl,
0: thanks for the time. Great,
1: thanks for
0: the blast. Yeah. Episode six. That's a wrap. Wow. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Be sure to find Carl on social media and share some support with him. Head on over to Springboard for the Arts. More likely than not, they can give you some advice and support in whatever endeavor you are pursuing. Give chance by chance a like on Facebook. Subscribe to the show on iTunes if you haven't already, and if you've got the time, leave a rating or review. All of these things are a huge contribution to bringing the podcast towards a larger audience. If you have especially made use from the podcast, consider going to patreon.com forward slash chancebychance and arranging a one-time or recurring donation that also helps me dedicate more of my time and attention to these conversations